doctor said, 75% of her patients in my condition recover 80 to 90% of their voice. And the rest become country singers. <laughs> my uh, first album will be out in October. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. I love this place. Love what God does here. I was thinking, when I was 15 years old, I left home. I went to Bob Jones Academy to get out of school, high school a year earlier. Turned 16 the end of September, left in August. My aunt got married in Greenville, and we didn't have the money to make two trips within a month. So they arranged for me to stay there, work at the warehouse. I stayed in the dorm. It was empty. Nobody was there. And I looked at that big old campus walked into that dormitory all by myself and I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not so sure how all this will work out. Then, after I'd been there a while, I thought, I am never going to get out of here. It seems so long from the time I came to the time I graduated here, high school, four years of college, and I remember well my college days. I have uh, worked on some sermons. I don't know how they'll go, but I, I know I worked on them. And I want to talk to you about a journey with Jesus. And we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Peter and uh, see some things about Peter's life and I think some parallels to us. Tomorrow, after chapel, our friends just driving together are going to put all my books out and any student may buy as many as they want or as few as they want for $10 a piece. Some of them retail for $22.95. And you, I won't lose any money of that. I won't get rich, but I'd like to help you. Uh, tonight and tomorrow, there is a book at the table that my wife wrote. Somebody said, you can write a book about your cancer. I said, no, enough of those books out there. And some of them are great, and some of them are pity parties. And we don't need another one. Uh, but my wife started writing devotional thoughts. Now, I would say my writing is practical. I hope it's helpful. I think it's simple. My wife writes elegantly. She writes beautifully. There are colored pictures throughout the book, many of which we took, all of which are pertinent to the devotional, 30 devotional thoughts. I've had so many ladies say, I started this book and I could not put it down. Read it from cover to cover. Now, these are more expensive because they're in color. So I buy them from my wife for $20. And I sell them for $20. That's why I'm in ministry, not business. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak <coughs> and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Matthew chapter 4, <coughs> verse 16. <coughs> I'm sorry, uh, verse 16, 
verse 18, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were not naturally fishers of men. They had never fished for men. They had no idea how to fish for men. But Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisherman. Hey, you follow Jesus. He'll make you everything he wants you to be. Lord, guide me as I preach. Empower me by your spirit. And help me to say all and only the things you want said. Draw us to yourself, I ask in Jesus' name, do a deep and lasting work in our hearts. Amen. Amen. It seems to me that at West Coast Baptist College this year, there are five categories of people. There are some of you who are settled. You may be a senior. Maybe even know where you're going to go when you get done with college. You know what God wants you to do. Be pastor, missionary, Christian school teacher, church secretary. You know it. And there are some of you, and by the way, if you're in that category, you need to develop, keep growing, keep learning, keep allowing the Lord to form and teach and instruct you. Now, some of you are surrendered. You know God wants you to serve him. But you don't know where, you don't know how. You don't know what you're going to do. It's not clear in your mind. And while you're here, during these years of college, God will help you determine what he wants you to do exactly. Then there's some of you here, and you're stubborn. You are called but not surrendered. You know what God wants you to do, but you don't want to do it. My dad never heard the gospel until he was 21. First time he heard it, he got saved. Said, that sounds like a good deal to me. And it's all new to him. And he looked around and saw different walks of life. And he said, God, I will do anything you want me to do except be a pastor. Those people have it rough. I've seen how they treat him. I won't do that. Now he was called, but he wasn't surrounded to do anything I wanted him to do. Had some very effective years as a pastor. There are some of you here, and you are seeking. Um, you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do. You surrendered your life to him. You don't know if he wants you in full-time service. You don't know if he wants you to do something else. I looked over saw Lance Fig and some other folks from our church, and... Uh, I know Lance is just here because he's going to give God a year at a Bible college. Then he's going to sell drugs. <laughs> but he'll be a better drug dealer because of it. <laughs> he's going to give out gospel tracts with every glass scene of cocaine. <laughs> You're seeking. You surrendered, but God hadn't made his will clear. And while you're here, God will help you discern. 
And there's a fifth category. I call you guys sojourners. You're just here. You don't have any sense of direction. You're not at all sure that you're willing to commit your life to God to do whatever he wants you to do for the rest of your life. But you're here. And we're glad you're here. You're in a good place. And what you need to do is learn you can trust Jesus. He's worthy of your surrender. He's worthy of your service. He's worthy of your life. And you need to learn to depend on him. Three stages I want you to see in Peter's early life. We're not going to look at the whole life and ministry of Peter in these three times I have to be with you. But three segments, getting to know him, starting to serve him, and learning to trust him. Tonight, getting to know him. Our story begins with Peter being introduced to Jesus. Andrew first findeth his brother Peter, Simon, and brings him to Jesus. Aren't you glad somebody introduced you to Jesus? Best thing ever happened to me. Somebody told me about Jesus. Best thing ever happened to you. Somebody introduced you to Jesus. But wait a minute. Peter was introduced to Jesus because of his brother. Somebody had to tell him. You see... The best thing you ever have to use when you're introduced to Jesus, maybe the next best thing is when you learn you can introduce people to Jesus. God can use you to help people know the Lord Jesus Christ, know that they have everlasting life. Now, uh, that's not something you're going to do when you get out. That's not something that God wants you to do later. College is not something you do before. You get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. No, uh, college is a place you get to know the Lord Jesus while you learn. You've been introduced to him. How well do you know him? The Apostle Paul said, I use this as a, verse if I sign somebody's Bible that I may know him the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death hey study go ahead pass your classes uh, but while you're studying, make sure you get to know Jesus. And uh, socialize. One of the best things about college is all the people you get to meet. Smart people, talented people, weird people, <laughs> crazy people. And they all teach you something. Some teach you what to do, some teach you what not to do. It's great, socialize, but make sure you spend as much time trying to get to know Jesus as you do the other students. Uh, it's great to be able to do all those things 
work. I'm glad God arranged it that I worked my way through college. I remember one year, I worked every other night as a night watchman, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. one night, off the next, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. the next night. And at the same time, three days a week, I worked at a mattress factory, 4.30 to 8.30, days a week, 12.30 to 8.30, sometimes on Saturday mornings. And I had friends, and their parents paid for all of their expenses and gave them a bunch of spending money and gave them a nice newer car to drive, and I envied those people. I was tired all the time. I'm not against screens, but I personally have a problem with any church that does not have hymn books. Because I perfected the art of sleeping with my elbow on a hymn book and my chin <laughs> resting on my fist in an upright position. I was tired all the time. I wished I could play more. I wished I had more money. I wished things were easier. But I am so glad God taught me to work. Work. Rejoice in it. Be glad in it. But be sure you get to know Jesus while you're working. And, and don't wait till you get out to start introducing him to people. When I was a boy, my dad taught me to win people to Christ before I could read. There's a little book, I don't remember the name, Ace Edwards, but a little book called Life's Greatest Question. And uh, yeah, there were pictures in the book and they told you well, what picture, my dad would show me what picture to talk about the gospel. I knew how to win people to Christ before I knew how to read, witness to my friends in school. And I am so glad I learned early to be comfortable talking to people about Jesus. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want everybody to know they can have everlasting life? He's introduced. Um, you'll see what happens to people introduced to Jesus at this church. You can see every Sunday lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Changed completely. But what you need to understand is it's your job as well. He's introduced and then he's invited. The Lord Jesus sees Peter and John fishing, casting their nets in the sea. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and they followed him. He invites them. Now we're going to learn later, they went back fishing after that. Not at the end of Peter's life, they did that too, but right after that. They didn't, they didn't stay following him long. But he was in, they, Peter was invited, they say, he says, come on, follow me. Follow me. Jesus says to you, follow me. That is why West Coast Baptist College exists. To train people to follow Jesus. You have fabulous human examples here. 
I do not know a harder working pastor than Dr. Paul Chapel. I do not know a preacher that has been blessed more by God in my lifetime, that has more influence in my lifetime than Brother Chapel. A faithful, personal soul winner. We've been out and about and together witnessed people and seen them get saved. I don't know where you're going to get better people than Dr. Mark Rasmus and Dr. John Getz, Dr. Jim Shetler. Great examples. And you learn from them. And you'll follow them, but their goal is not to get you out of here and have them be just like you. Just like them, just like they are. Their goal is to get you to follow Jesus. See, the staff is here to get you to follow Jesus. Their goal is that you learn to love and serve and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. This place is designed to motivate you, to teach you, to train you, to encourage you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a little overdone a long time ago. Somebody wrote a book, Sidney Sheldon, entitled, What Would Jesus Do? Way before the little bracelets and all that stuff. Not a bad question, but there's a better question. What would Jesus want you to do? What does he want you to do? I'll diverge slightly. The hardest thing I have to remember to do is to walk in the spirit. I used to struggle to understand the difference between being filled with the spirit and walking in the spirit and abiding in Christ and being crucified with Christ. And I don't know if this will pass theological muster or not, Dr. Gedge. But here's what I decided. They're all the same. Everything you do, you're either saying, I can do that, or you're saying, Lord, help me. When I was in college, I got a call slip from the chairman of the music department. That's the thing they sent you in your post office box. They had to go see somebody. Now, I was used to getting them from the dean of men, the dormitory supervisor. But I wasn't involved in music at all. I thought, what did I do to offend the chairman of the music department? Well, they wanted me to be in a choir. And then he wanted me to take voice lessons. And the first song he taught me to sing was, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. Good song, Charles Weigel song. I graduated with youth pastor a couple years, took our church when I was 22, 1975. And some years later, the music director had put me on the schedule to sing a solo. Obviously, my voice was a little better then than it is now. And I thought, well, I'll sing No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. I ran over it once with the piano player. I knew it. I'd known it for years. Now, I wasn't thinking, man, am I going to knock their socks off. I bet you they've never heard a solo like they're about to hear. I imagine Columbia Records is going to want to give me a contract. I just thought I can do that. I know the song. I know how to sing. I can sing the song. I got up. No notes. No, no, no words. No music. I knew the song. And I sang. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. And my mind went completely and irretrievably blank. Now, what would be the next thing you ought to do? 
If you're in that position, what should you do right away? You do what Peter did when he started to sink. Lord, save me. Lord, help me, not me. No, I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty smart. I can take care of it. I said, I, I'll make up the words to the verse. And I'll get it on the chorus. So I sang, I'd love to tell you what I think of Jesus. He's so wonderful and good and kind and true. He is gracious and his love is everlasting. What he's done for me, I know it'll do for you. And then I sang, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And I couldn't remember the chorus. <laughs> I made up the chorus. I made up the second verse. I made up the second chorus. One of our ladies, Donna Mitchell, was out there. She thought, oh, we found new words. There. Then she said, no, he's making that up. <laughs> what was my problem? I thought I could do it. Instead of saying, Lord, help me. I so often think I know what to do instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Follow Jesus. Love your friends, but follow Jesus. Listen to and pay attention to the advice and take the advice of your instructors, but follow Jesus. See, Jesus is not going to lead you to live for yourself. Jesus is not going to lead you to be conformed to the culture. Jesus is not going to lead you to compromise your convictions. By the way, let me just tell you something I always told our young people when they went off to college when I was pastoring. They went to, many of them went here, some went other good places. And I would all, I'd say to all of them, where you're going, there'll be some things different. And I might say, in this place, they're not a good soul winning place. This place, they're a little weak on that. And I would say, you should add to what we have given you here, but you should never depart from it. Don't you go back home and try to straighten your preacher out. Don't think you learned something in a year or two or three of college that makes you the superior to that faithful servant of God who is responsible in many ways for you being here in the first place. Leave with the same convictions you came with in then zone. Bible says, continue in the things which thou hast learned. That means you stay on the same path, but you don't get stuck there. Keep going down the right path. You grow. You add, you improve, you increase, but you never depart. Jesus is not going to lead you to switch Bibles. Nobody ever read the Bible and said, oh, I need a new translation. You didn't get that from the Bible. You got that from what some bozo said about the Bible. I, I know people and they've been TR and majority text and critical text, loudly and brashly promoting each position. Every time they finally figured it out, I say about them, well, I may be wrong or I may be right, but they have to be wrong at least once, maybe twice. I'm still the same place ever been. No, nobody read the Bible and said, well, look at that. I shouldn't go to church on Sunday night. Amen. 
We are too busy in this society. And, and this is such a godly, nurturing, encouraging world we live in. We need less of God's people. We ought to be in the world more. You don't get that from following Jesus. He invited them and he said, follow me. Jesus won't lead you to be sidetracked by social media. Some of the biggest idiots in the world are on social media. Anybody can say anything. Nobody has to back it up. And people who have never done anything talk like they know everything. I don't know. I just got an idea. If you stayed here a little more, you'd be better off. Don't need all that nonsense. Don't, need don't get in a Twitter fight. Come on. That's junior high. That's silly stuff. Jesus will never lead you to be influenced by a compromising crowd. Peter's introduced, and then he's invited, follow me. If you follow the Lord Jesus the rest of your life, this group of people who've loved you and sacrificed for you, this church who's invested so much for you to be able to be here and does so much on a regular basis to help you and encourage you, the preacher that led you to Christ, that trained you, the parents that have given their lives to help you turn out right, will be real pleased as long as you follow Jesus. Now, in your lifetime, you'll have to either change your crowd or change your convictions. With a few exceptions, you will not end up with the same people you started out with unless you drift with them. Some years ago, there's a fuss going on in the independent Baptist world. And I managed to offend people on both sides. And uh, I, I, I got my staff together. I said, here's these two circles. They overlap. And we like both circles. We like the things in the middle there. I said, the circles are separating. And if we stay where we are, we will not be in anybody's circle. I said, if you need the security of being in a circle, I understand. And if you want to go someplace be in a circle, that's great, but it won't happen here. John Reynolds called me up. He was then at Tennessee Temple. The associate editor to Dr. Hudson at the Sword of the Lord before that. And he said, I need to get you down here to preach. He said, you need a home. Everybody's cut you off. And I said, well, Dr. Reynolds, I just checked, and Jesus still has me on his list. Amen. Yeah, it's all right as long as you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Used to be a book I read years ago by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. And I don't remember much about the book, but I remember the story of a Bible college professor in England, I think. And there was a power struggle, and this good, sincere man was ousted, and left without a home, without a job, without a place to minister. And somebody came to commiserate with him. He wouldn't have been upset. Oh, he said, it's all right. God knows what he's doing. God's got a place for me. God will take care of it. And then he said this about his foes and the ones who had manipulated and connived and schemed to put him out. 
He said, besides, I have known God. And they haven't. Peter's introduced. Peter's invited. And then Peter is instructed. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 8. The Lord Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now our Catholic friends tell us Peter was the first pope. And they tell us that the popes are not allowed to marry. Well, Peter was the unluckiest guy in the world. He got a mother-in-law without getting a wife. <laughs> Man, my mother-in-law is a great woman I was glad for, but I wouldn't want her without my wife. <laughs> and he sees what Jesus can do. Wow. He's heard him teach. And now he sees with his own eyes a woman who's sick and she's healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? The longer I live, the more impressed I am with the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the lives that have been permanently changed by nothing but the gospel. My own life is that way, Father never heard the gospel. He's 21. God saved the first time he heard it. I can tell you more of the story. I got to see God at work when I was young. My dad was a pastor in a little town called Perry, Michigan, from the time I was two to the time I was about six. And one night, the church burned down. Old, white, wooden church structure on M52. And we walked across the street. Our house was right next to it. And stood in the front yard of the funeral home and watched the church burn. We had a revival meeting not long after that. Glenn Shunk came to preach for my dad. He and they were great friends. And my dad picked up the train station and said, Brother Shunk, this will be the worst meeting you ever had. Church burned down. We're meeting in a gymnasium. And Dr. Shunk said, how many does it seat? My dad said, oh, I don't know, probably 500. And he said, wonderful. And I remember that meeting. People getting saved and crowds coming and filling up those metal folding chairs. And then my dad went to the Detroit Rescue Mission. And I saw people whose lives were destroyed by booze, whose lives were wrecked and ruined by following their own flesh. And taken astray by the snares of the devil. And they'd lost their families. They'd lost their jobs. They'd lost their self-respect. They lost everything that mattered to them. And then they came to a mission and somebody told them about Jesus. And I saw those old drunkards transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll see God at work here. You'll be instructed. You'll learn that the gospel changes lives. I want to just ask you one question as I end tonight. How will you know him? I hope you get good grades. By the way, here's a freebie. If they disagree with me on this, they're right and I'm wrong. When I was in college, Bob Jones Jr., academic place 
And obviously, I cannot recommend that place these days, but a place known for its excellence in scholarship said, don't let your classes interfere with your education. Most of the important lessons I learned in college are not in the classroom. Some were. Remember some classes, vividly some teachers impacted me in a great way. But I learned a whole lot more by going off on the weekends and preaching in a jail or a rescue mission or on the street somewhere than I did in most of the classes. Get involved in ministry. Write a great term paper. Make wonderful friends. Hang around with a crowd that cares about truth and loves God and wants to serve him. But make sure you get to know him. See, most of us know about him. We don't know him. We don't, in the middle of the day, frequently say something to him. We don't live like he's right beside us when, in fact, he is within us. We don't talk of him to other people. We talk about the job we had in the summer and the sports events we attended and the relationships we've had and all kind of stuff. We don't talk much about him. Peter is getting to know him. He's introduced, he's invited, he's instructed that I may know him. Not my textbook's good to know that, but know him. Not Bible doctrine's really important to know that, but know him. Not the right methodology for building a church or starting a class or filling a bus up, but to know him.